verses 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down and their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Luke 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to the village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what he said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if they were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went to stay with them. Then when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, 
It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognised by them when he broke the bread. Our third Bible reading is from Luke 24, 36 to 50. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And why they still did not believe it because of, and why they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he said, "Ask them." Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And the repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going, to send you what, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Thanks, Naomi. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Jack, if I haven't met you before, distant cousin to, to Outback Jack. Um, I'm one of the pastors here at TCU. Happy Easter. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning and how great to be able to celebrate on a day like today that Jesus is alive. I, um, I, got, I got COVID for the first time a couple of weeks ago uh, and it didn't, it didn't hit me very hard besides a bit of a, bit of a head cold and some, some fatigue, uh, but I'd heard that brain fog was a thing as well. I don't know if you've, if you've had COVID and have experienced that kind of brain fog, but I really thought it had skipped me. Uh, but then I was, I was making myself a nice tasty cup of instant coffee uh, and something suddenly felt off. And it wasn't because I was drinking instant coffee, it wasn't, wasn't for that reason. Something just felt off. And I was trying to figure out what it was when I realized that I was, I was trying to fit the full three-litre milk bottle into the cupboard where the instant coffee goes, and I'd already put the jar of instant coffee into the door of the fridge. So, like, I definitely had that kind of brain fog. If you know me well, you're probably sitting there and thinking, like, that's not actually that unusual for you, Jack. Uh, But at least uh, for this instance, I have a pretty good excuse, I think. I don't know if you've gone through something similar, though, done something and just gone, like, man, I've, I've got that brain fog. It doesn't just happen when you have... COVID though, does it? It happens when we're really busy. It happens when we have about a thousand things going through our minds as well or or an overload of information or uh, when something in life is just feeling kind of all-consuming. And we all have those kind of times, don't we? Uh, When we feel just just overloaded, uh, when our minds and hearts can just feel kind of messy. We're already a quarter of the way through the year. I don't know how you're feeling this Easter, uh, but maybe your mind is, is feeling a little bit foggy or, or messy from work or study overloads, or maybe from difficult circumstances that have occurred for you. Maybe you're actually feeling that in your heart this morning. 
But it's wonderful that you are here this Easter Sunday as we reflect on and celebrate the good news that Jesus has risen. Jesus' resurrection, what we celebrate today, we want us to see that it provides peace, provides peace for restless hearts, for foggy minds, and it turns doubt to rejoicing. That's what we see from Jesus' followers this morning, isn't it? And I pray that this morning, whatever you feel right now, that you might know this peace and this joy, and more than that, that you might know the life that's been offered to you in a risen, living and loving Saviour, who desperately wants for you to turn to Him if you haven't yet. Because it's, it's not just some party trick, and it's not a lie, it's something God promised us, Jesus really is alive. That's point one, it's not some party trick. Uh, one of the things I really love about Luke's Gospel is that we get to read of real interactions between Jesus and the people around Him, uh, and we get to read of the responses that they have to who Jesus is as well. Uh, and it might surprise you to read this morning that just like uh, you may be sitting here today and kind of just doubting maybe who Jesus is, maybe doubting whether this is all true, uh, that his very own disciples are in the same boat, even in Jesus' presence. He says to them in verse 37 this morning, why do you doubt in your minds? In verse 37 to 38, the disciples are confused, aren't they? They're doubting, they're troubled and they are fearful. But what are they by verse 53 this morning? We read that they're full of praise. Jesus' disciples are moved from doubting, confusion and fear to this joy and praise and worship of God. And, and Jesus does this by helping him see that he's truly alive and helping them and us to understand what this means. Firstly, in verses 39 to 42, Jesus shows them and us that it's not a party trick. Jesus says to them in verse 39, if you've got a Bible with you, you might want to look down at the Bible. Verse 39, he says to them, look at my hands and my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He helps them see, you know, physically that he is there, he's risen from the dead. And he shows them that he can eat. He has a meal with them. Food disappears into his mouth. It doesn't fall down this kind of ghostly Casper-like form and onto the ground. He really is alive. Not a ghost, not a hallucination. He's there in the flesh with them. He invites them to touch him, to see that he is really there. He's risen from the dead. Invites him to look at his hands and feet where the wounds of the nails that were driven into the cross were. It's not a trick. See, the women who were at the tomb, they had heard rightly. The angels weren't lying. Jesus is alive. And the disciples on the Emmaus Road, they hadn't been imagining things. And they weren't lying. Jesus really is alive. See, Luke wrote this gospel... Well, this good news of Jesus recounting his life, death and resurrection, not to try to trick people or to kind us into anything, but to invite them uh, in, to invite them to check out this evidence for themselves, to go and talk to the people who saw Jesus, the women at the tomb, the followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus, Jesus' followers in that room, all who saw the risen Jesus. Luke recounts these events so that his readers of a couple of thousand years ago will be able to go and talk to people, 
to people who had absolutely nothing to gain by making this stuff up. In fact, many of them were put to death because they were saying these things. I mean, who does that for a lie that brings them no benefit, no monetary gain, no prestige or popularity, but ends up with them being killed? It's not a party trick. Luke wants all who read his gospel account to know Jesus is alive. And you may, you may be sitting here today and thinking, um, people don't just rise from the dead though. Uh, like that's not the way things go. People are born, some of them die young, some of them die old, but they all die. And none of them come back. It's like death and taxes, right? The one certainty in life. And where is Jesus right now to show me that he's alive if it's not a trick? And if it's such a big deal? See, I can't talk to those witnesses. In verses 44 to 53, we read on to hear about how Jesus helps us understand that he truly did die, that he truly is alive, and that we truly and desperately do need him. In verses 44 to 53, we read that Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection is something that God promised us from the very beginning, that Jesus would die but then rise again to life on the third day, and that this is something that means life for us as well. Jesus said, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power on high. You see, all along this plan had been in place that the Messiah, Jesus, would suffer and die, and that he would rise again, and that he would do this so that forgiveness would be on offer for rebellious people, for people who, without Jesus, are without hope and without peace and without God for eternity. Luke wrote his gospel so that we could see this, so that we could see that all of the Old Testament, everything that had come before Jesus, written hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus even set foot on this earth, Luke wrote his gospel to help us understand that it all, it all points towards Jesus, it all leads to Jesus, gives an explanation for who Jesus is, an explanation for his life, his death and resurrection, and for our great and desperate need for him. See, Jesus himself understood this. You might like to flick in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. You'll see in verse 37 there, during the Last Supper with his disciples the night before he died, Jesus said this, It is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And Jesus said, I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. See, the passage Jesus is talking about is from a book in the Old Testament called Isaiah. It's from chapter 53 there. And it's in Isaiah 53 that we read of the magnitude of what it is that we have in Jesus. Jesus had said to his disciples, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. Well, in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 11, we read this. After he has suffered... He will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, 
and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore I will give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death, and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So what, what is Isaiah saying here? What is, what is this getting at? What is Jesus saying here? I heard a pastor called William Taylor, uh, Taylor explain it like this recently. And I just want you to, to imagine that, that this, this right here, this is your iniquity. Uh, the things you've done wrong in your life, the things we've all done wrong, uh, it's kind of just there. Right? Nothing we can do can stop the fact that these things have happened, can stop the fact that we have uh, lived in a way that says to God, uh, I don't want you. I lived in a way that actually says to God, I'm your enemy. We've all lived in a way that is against God. We, we can't actually pretend that we haven't. But what Jesus has done by dying on the cross, what we read about in Isaiah 53, is that all this iniquity, this guilt, this shame and sin, uh, well, Jesus actually took that upon himself when he died. And he put it to death on the cross when he died. So that those who trust in him, well, it's no longer resting on our shoulders. It's no longer separating us from God anymore. Jesus has dealt with that on the cross. Isaiah 53 verse 5 phrases it like this. Uh, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus came to deal with our brokenness, to bring us peace with God. And he did it by dying on the cross and taking our sin onto himself so that we could be reconciled with the God who loves us enough to die for us so that we might live. Jesus' very first words to his disciples were, uh, peace be with you. And of course, they kind of freaked out of their minds when they heard that and saw Jesus. But he said, peace be with you. It was a pretty common greeting at that time. But the meaning of those very first words spoken by Jesus to his disciples, well, it alludes to the fact that that it worked. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross worked, and his resurrection proves it. Another book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, Paul the Apostle says, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. See, if Christ has not been raised, then it just it didn't work. Our sin remains in our shoulders. But point three, and, and, and praise God... Jesus is alive, and it's the greatest news ever. Jesus uh, says to his disciples in verse 47 that repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and that they're witnesses of these things. You see, if Jesus has truly done this for you, has truly, if he truly does love you and wants you to be with him, if he truly is alive, how are people everywhere? How are you called to respond to this news? It's what Jesus said in that passage, in repentance, in faith that Jesus is the only one who can deal with the barrier of sin that exists between you and God. That means turning away from living in a way that says, says no to God, to turning towards Jesus, recognizing he's the one that we need to bring us back to God and putting our trust in him. He's the only one who can deal with our sin. He doesn't ask for you to perfect yourself before you come to him. He asks you to come to him with your brokenness, with your need for a saviour, so that he can save you. So that just as he has been raised to new life, you too 
will be raised to new life with him for eternity, forgiven and redeemed, and not raised to life for eternity under his judgment. Jesus tells his disciples they're witnesses of the things that have happened, and they're to go and tell everyone everywhere to repent and believe. Actually, that's why there's a room full of people here this morning, people who have been reconciled to God, not because they're special at all, the opposite, actually, but because they've put their trust in Jesus and nothing else to save them. See, those disciples did go out, they did spread the news, and it spread like a wildfire. News of Jesus and his death and resurrection spread everywhere, reached the shores of Australia eventually, made its way into our ears and our hearts here in Adelaide, and called us to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith too. See, we will stand before God one day, and he will hold us to account for how we've treated him and how we've responded to Jesus. Will you stand there blameless because Jesus has taken your punishment and dealt with your sin, or will you stand there and seek to justify yourself before the God who created all with no hope of escape? See, the disciples know how great the news of the risen Jesus is. Most of them died because of it. They died knowing that this life is not all there is, but that in the life to come, they can have peace with the God who loves them, who wants a relationship with them. They could have hope of a world to come that is free from sin and death because of the God who has dealt with sin and death on the cross. And that is cause of great rejoicing and great praise of God this Easter because it's equally true for us today. As, as a Christian, when life gets, gets really busy and when my brain gets foggy uh, because of all the pressures of life or the busyness or hard things that I find confronting to need to deal with, it's easy for this news to kind of uh, just float against that fogginess of mind and heart. It's easy for me to, um, to while acknowledging its significance and value and my, and my need for Jesus, to actually forget the magnitude of what Jesus has done. Like the creator of the whole world entered into his creation that we broke because of sinfulness and lived a fully human and fully God life, a perfect life, and died the death that I deserve so that I don't have to. And he was raised to life, he's reigning in heaven, and he says, I want you with me. I love you, I, I did that for you. And when, when you kind of stop and reflect on that truth, I really stop. Just like the busy things, they seem less, less consuming. The pressures squeeze less. And the hard things that, that you feel uh, lose their weight. Uh, because he's alive. Uh, like I catch myself uh, putting the milk into the cupboard. <laughs> Meaning I catch myself putting my time into into worldly pursuits that don't matter, um, I love into things that can't love me back. Reminded that I'm in desperate need of a saviour, that we all are, just as much today as we were yesterday, and the day I first put my trust in him. See, that desperate need has been met for all of us. And this, this Easter, a quarter of the way through the year, uh, amidst the busyness, the chaos of life, 
Uh, don't let the news of Jesus just brush up against the fogginess. Uh, Jesus is alive. We can praise God because of it. Uh, if, you, if you've joined us this morning and, and you've not yet put your trust in Jesus, uh, there is no other way to be made right with God. Uh, and he wants you, enough to die to make it possible. So turn to him. Turn to him knowing that he loves you. Turn to him in repentance and faith, because it means life. It means peace and forgiveness. It means eternity with the God who loves you desperately. And, uh, and we want you here with us as well, actually, so please do keep joining us. And please ask questions about this too. Uh, you can do that by just coming and chatting, uh, chatting to myself or our Carl, our senior pastor. He can't be with us here today, but he'll be here next week. Come and chat to him as well or chat to the friends you came with. And you can let us know that you have questions as well by filling in the tear slip in that leaflet that you walked in and were handed. But you can also keep investigating for yourself who Jesus is by taking home a gospel of Luke with you. By reading through it and asking yourself the question, who is Jesus to me? Uh, there's a handful of them just out in the hallway on that table there. If we run out, like, just feel free to grab a Bible if you don't have one as well and take that with you. But please don't let the busyness or pressures of life after this weekend stop you from pursuing knowing who Jesus is. It's the most important thing you'll ever do in your life. Because it's not a party trick and it's not a big old lie. It's something God promised us. Jesus really is alive and he calls for all of us to come to him and respond to him in repentance and belief to receive life with him. Lord, to lead us now in talking to God and thanking him for this amazing truth. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we praise you for how you have acted towards us so graciously and lovingly in your son Jesus. We thank you for his death on the cross that paid for our sin. And we thank you for his life, his resurrection, that he now reigns at your side, interceding for us. Now reigns at your side, calling us to follow him, to put our trust in him, so that we too may know life, life with you, life eternal, a life free from sin and death. Lord, we praise you for this, and we pray that you would help all of us grapple with the reality of this, to celebrate it, that this reality might shape the rest of our lives as we respond to your grace, Lord, in faith. Amen.